You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Noelle Herhusky-Schneider. This is the WFHB Local News for Thursday, December 14th, 2023. In today's feature report, we have Prescription for Healthcare, a podcast collaboration between the WFHB Local News and Medicare for All Indiana. More in the bottom half of our program. Also coming up in the next half hour, the Bloomington City Council unanimously rejected the sale of the city's police station on 3rd Street during last night's meeting. That's coming up next in your daily headlines. On Wednesday, the Bloomington City Council unanimously rejected the sale of the city's police station on 3rd Street. Deputy Mayor Larry Allen presented a summary of the resolution. This this does authorize the sale of real property uh, that we mentioned. The sale is made pursuant to Indiana Code 36111. Under that particular provision of Indiana Code, uh, it is required to have city council approval before any real property in this manner can be sold. Um, we have obtained, just to jump to the end, just so right up top we know what we're talking about, we received three bids during the sale period, and the city believes that it has received a best and highest offer from GMS Pavilion Properties for $4.4 million. Um, and if approved, this would enable the administration to negotiate the closing with the buyer, the buyer, but to be clear, the closing would occur in 2024, so it would have to be conducted by the next administration. What this would do is simply is to authorize that administration to pursue uh, the closing of this property. Outgoing Mayor John Hamilton spoke in support of the sale. We are very pleased that we received bids for Showers West, which of course is not directly in front of you tonight, but we're very pleased that we got bids for Showers West that are right in line with the estimates. And all of these processes, including the closing costs for the, for the, um, for the transaction at issue here, um, are, are going to be negotiated what what the administration is asking council tonight is to allow this administration and the next administration to negotiate those final details. Uh, of course, the, any administration is going to have moving parts in any large project like this, but the numbers are good uh, when we look at a project like this, and I think the decision for this council is do we let this administration and the next administration negotiate to conclusion the purchase, uh, the sale uh, of the headquarters to facilitate the full project movement uh, of the four projects, or if this council decides not to allow that to go forward, then the result will be this administration and the next administration will move forward with the bond proceeds and any other proceeds that we have to do the two highest priority projects. And the next administration and the next council will wrestle with, okay, what do we do? about the other two projects. So I think, I mean, I'm happy to, we're happy to dig into those details, but the overall fiscal picture is very good with the sources that we've identified. And of course, there'll be negotiations to be done. During public comment, Mayor-elect Kerry Thompson urged the council to delay the sale of the building. 
Good evening, this is Carrie Thompson. I've listened tonight to the presentation and questions, and it's clear to me that there are many outstanding issues with this property that we still have yet to determine. If this property attracted three qualifying bid, qualified bids in such a short period of time, it can again attract qualified bids in the future should we choose to sell. Such a delay allows us time to ensure we are financially and ethically headed in a direction to protect our city's best interest. And in fact, would serve to reduce the rent eventually paid for a leaseback, a rate that if viewed as interest on the total sale price would be in excess of 9%. Certainly the city can bond for a lower interest rate than that. Declining these offers does not preclude us from selling this property in the future but it does allow the city time to complete due diligence on the sale, the costs of Showers West, and also time to discuss with the Buzzkirk and Hill families regarding the possibility of what types of future uses would be within the gift's intent. It does not seem prudent to rush into a deal tonight, one that may not close until my administration is in place, but one which would absolutely be bound by. Thank you for your careful consideration of the questions which remain outstanding. Further complicating the process is a deed restriction on the land, which requires the property to be a public park. Local resident Nathaniel Usher Hill IV spoke out against the proposal, saying his family members were the original signers of the deed. Allow me to introduce myself. I am Nat Hill IV. You will hear my brother Philip Hill shortly. Our grandfather Nat U. Hill II and his brother Philip Buskirk Hill were original signers of the deed. My brother and I are here today as heirs, I'm the better looking one, to convince you that you should not approve this flawed sale. I need to start with a genuine apology. I'm genuinely sorry we haven't paid more attention to what has taken place at City Hall and here at the Bloomington City Council. I feel bad that so much time and energy has been spent getting everybody to this point. I also want to make it clear that we are not mad at Mayor Hamilton, the City Council, or anybody else. Much has been made of the cordial discussion my brother and I did indeed have with the mayor. That's how discussions should be. I told Mayor Hamilton at our cordial meeting, and I repeat, it was a cordial meeting, that this sale would obviously result in another, quote, nine-story student housing building with an empty retail first floor, and I forgot to add, with free underwater parking. The mayor assured us that wouldn't happen. Well, at the Public Works Board meeting Friday, which I watched, bid number three was for a 475-bedroom development on 1.3 acres. I think that violates the spirit of the intent. The mayor is firmly convinced this sale is a good and proper thing. We made it clear to the mayor that we simply disagree regarding the legality and fairness in selling 31% of the land initially described in the, being, in the deed as being used exclusively for a free public park for the use of the citizens of Bloomington, Indiana, in order to build another high-rise student building downtown. Wait a minute, that wasn't in the original deed, was it? Quickly switching gears, Bloomington is a town of never-ending generosity. There have been countless donations given over the years to this city. My brother and I have been very happy with the continuing faithfulness of the city in stewarding past donations. As far as we know up until now, 
This city has batted 100% in honoring the wishes of many donors. The proposed sale of the Waldron Hill and Buskirk Park property is way out of character for the city of Bloomington. So in winding down this sport short speech, who came up with the three-minute limit anyway, I want to repeat, we're not mad at anybody. But I also repeat, we don't believe the sale of the park is legal, is in any way keeping in the spirit in which the transaction was put together, and certainly not an advisable thing to do to promote future giving. We're simply ask, asking you to do the right thing and vote against this resolution. I think I speak for all the heirs and their ancestors who originally deeded the park to the city when I said, when I say, we've all had good Christian raisins, we got eighth grade educations, ain't no reason for y'all to be treating us this way. Thank you. The council voted zero to nine, rejecting the sale of the police building. This was the last city council meeting of the year. The council will convene for an organizational meeting on January 10th of next year. In today's feature report, we have Prescription for Healthcare, a podcast collaboration between the WFHB Local News and Medicare for All Indiana. This month, we interviewed Carol Paris, MD, psychiatrist, and former president of PNHP, on facing the crisis of moral injury in our healthcare system and how it is different from burnout. We turn now to that segment. Bloomington, Indiana, welcome to Prescription for Healthcare on WFHB Community Radio, sponsored by Medicare for All Indiana. I'm Karen Greenstone, along with Dr. Rob Stone. Hello. Today on Prescription for Healthcare, we'll be talking with Dr. Carol Paris. Dr. Paris is the past president of Physicians for a National Health Program, PNHP, and a recently retired psychiatrist who worked for more than 25 years in private practice, community mental health, prison psychiatry and academia, including a year as a consultant psychiatrist in New Zealand. She currently resides in Sewanee, Tennessee, where her primary interests include mentoring medical students and early career physicians for leadership and advocacy. Dr. Paris, welcome to Prescription for Healthcare, and thank you for joining us. Hi, Karen. Hi, Rob. It's great to be with you. We're going to talk with Dr. Paris about moral injury, a specific trauma that arises when people face situations that deeply violate their conscience and threaten their core values. Those who grapple with it can struggle with guilt, anger, and a consuming sense that they can't forgive themselves or others. Think of the COVID epidemic with the healthcare providers working under unsustainable and unsafe conditions for themselves and their patients, or Physician practices acquired by for-profit insurance companies or giant hospital chains. Dr. Paris, at the recent annual meeting of PNHP, you ran a breakout session to talk about moral injury. Will you please explain to our listeners about moral injury and why it is important for all of us to think about how moral injury affects our relationships with our providers? 
I want to start by identifying that the very concept of moral injury came out of research in the military. They found that veterans returning from the Vietnam War manifested many symptoms that sort of seemed like PTSD. That was the closest umbrella they could put it under. But these fellows, men and women, were not responding to treatment for PTSD. So they did some additional research and came up with this idea of moral injury because what they found was these returning veterans, instead of suffering from trauma that was to their mortality, which is what we think of as PTSD, what these people were experiencing who didn't have physical trauma, what they had was actually trauma to their morality, meaning they had been put in positions by their leadership where they were expected to do things that completely didn't comport with their moral beliefs. Dr. Wendy Dean, who has written a wonderful book called If I Betray These Words, is a psychiatrist who was researching this concept of moral injury in the military and said, whoa, this has a lot of application to healthcare. specifically that as physicians, what is our primary moral obligation? Rob, what is it? To take good care of our patients. To put our patients first. Yeah. And to your listeners, I want to say, all of us at some time, past, present, or future, are going to be patients. We're all going to be on the receiving end of that need for health care. We ideally believe that it is our physician or healthcare provider who is the conduit to our receiving good care. The problem is in today's society, in our fragmented, messed up healthcare system, our physicians, while they aspire to put patients first and take good care of us as patients, in fact, are hamstrung left and right by all of these other obligations that are not putting patients first. And what do those include? How about insurance companies, including Cigna, United Healthcare, Aetna, CVS, you name it. I don't believe that any of their mission statements say it is the good care of patients that is our primary goal. No, in fact, their primary obligation is making a profit. My biggest concern and interest in moral injury is that I see this dilemma that my colleagues and I have had to deal with where we know what the right thing is to do or we have a sense of an obligation to put our patients first, but all of these other considerations prevent us from doing that. I think that has had a tremendously negative impact on the physician-patient relationship. I think that patients have a somewhat naive notion that when they go to their doctor, 
their doctor's sole consideration is taking good care of them and providing their care. And I say naive because I think that's a very realistic expectation. I have it of my doctors as well. But the reality is that there are all these other entities hiding in the exam room, the insurance company, the pharmaceutical company, perhaps the hospital or the owner of the venture capital-owned practice that the physician is practicing in. And unfortunately, I don't think patients understand or realize that there are all those other entities in the room. I think what happens is that patients react negatively to their sense that their doctor isn't paying attention to them, is more interested in their electronic medical record than in listening to me, doesn't have time for me, doesn't answer my questions. I've heard all of these complaints, and I've had them myself at times as a patient. But I also know, because I've been on the provider end of things, that there's more going on here. It isn't that my doctor doesn't care about me. It's that my doctor is frustrated, distracted, overwhelmed, and perhaps also experiencing burnout. But the primary issue is, and it's something that doctors don't feel like they can talk to their patients about, but it is this sense that I know the right thing to do. I know how to care for you, but the system won't let me. I'd like to just give a little example of that. I have recently had problems. I'm 71 years old, by the way. And hey, I'm grateful that the biggest issue I have is bad knees. But I went to the orthopedic fellow, met him last year. And first appointment, he said, yeah, looked at the x-rays. You, you probably need a knee replacement, but we ought to try an, an injection or something else first, less invasive. And I said, that works for me. What do you recommend? And he gave me the three kinds of injections that he could use. And I said, okay, again, what do you recommend? I'm a good psychiatrist, but I don't know how to judge these injections. And he got the most sad look on his face. And he said, it doesn't really matter what I recommend. I said, what do you mean? And he said, what matters is what your insurance is. Mm. And I said, I have Medicare. And he said, yeah, but which one? I said, no, I have traditional Medicare. I have real Medicare. And his demeanor changed. He got a big smile on his face and said, oh my gosh, that's wonderful. I can actually answer your question and give you the injection today. And I bring that up as an example of what it's like for doctors. When your patient honestly asks you a question and you honestly have an opinion and you know what you want to do, but you don't even feel like you can do that because it depends on what their insurance company is going to allow. Are they going to have to go through prior authorization? Are they going to have to do stepped care where you fail a bunch of different things before you actually get what you need? which I imagine many of your listeners have been on the receiving end of. And so I'm really glad you invited me to talk about this because I'm really trying to tune into what your listeners' experiences are, what it is to be a patient on the receiving end of healthcare. And the message I want you to hear is sometimes when your doctor is a jackass and you're mad at him or her because you don't feel like they're putting you first, Sometimes it's because 
of moral injury. It's because of all of these other ghosts in the exam room that are pulling on your provider, try to prevent him or her from giving you the care that that your doctor wants to give you, knows how to give you, and is constrained from giving you. And that takes its toll on the provider in the form of moral injury. It takes its toll on patients in the form of frustration and on the relationship. I think that's the biggest damage here is that this damages the doctor-patient relationship. And that makes me really sad. So Carol, could you talk a little bit about the difference between moral injury and the more common related term burnout? Yes. They are not mutually exclusive, but they are different because burnout, we all can experience burnout when we have just too many things on our to-do list and not enough time to get them done, especially when that to-do list, the things that go on the to-do list are created by entities outside of ourselves, like our employers. So they keep putting more things on our to-do list, giving us less time to do it in. And then when we become exhausted, overwhelmed, cynical, and fatigued, we're told, you're not doing good time management. We're going to send you to a workshop on time management. You need to find a little extra time in your day also to do meditation or yoga. That's burnout. The implication of that is that the problem is with the person experiencing it. They're not using their time well. They need to do some yoga and meditation and take a hot bath before they go to bed. Moral injury, on the other hand, says the problem is not with the person experiencing moral injury. The problem is with the system. It is actually an expected and normal response to an abnormal situation. And what needs to change is the situation. Dr. Carol Paris, what is your prescription for healthcare? My prescription for healthcare now, in the long run, I guess I'd have to say it's Medicare for all. But in the short run, my prescription is that we need to start listening to our medical students and asking them to tell us what kind of a healthcare system they want to practice in. How does the system need to change? so that they don't become the victims of burnout and moral injury. One thing that I feel strongly about from my own lived experience of moral injury is that when I discovered PNHP and became an active member and an activist for healthcare reform, what I realized was that for me was a balm and an antidote for my own moral injury. Dr. Paris, we welcome and appreciate sharing your wealth of knowledge and experience. Thank you, Carol. Thank you for having me. The book Dr. Paris referred to is If I Betray These Words, Moral Injury in Medicine and Why It's So Hard for Clinicians to Put Patients First by Dr. Wendy Dean.
She is a psychiatrist and leader in bringing attention to the problems of moral injury and how they are different from burnout. We will link to her book on the Prescription for Healthcare page on the WFHB website. This is Karen Greenstone and Dr. Rob Stone for Prescription for Healthcare on WFHB Community Radio in Bloomington, Indiana. To your good health, everyone, please stay safe and thank you for listening. We may never see this moment or place and time again. If not now, if not now, tell me when. Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Cade Young and Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Dr. Rob Stone and Karen Greenstone. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Noel Herhusky Schneider. And I'm Cade Young. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Big Talk, a one-on-one conversation with some of Bloomington's most fascinating people, coming up next on WFHB. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 